Great cornerstone. Morning. Hey, uh, just real quick, want to give a shout out to our Santan campus, to our Scottsdale campus. Glad you guys are part of today. Today we're actually landing uh, the prayer series that we've been in. And I, I believe that the conversation we have today has the potential to most radically change your perspective and just even how uh, we pray. And what we're going to discover today is that prayer was never intended uh, for you and I to be telling God how to do things, but instead for you and I to be asking God what he's doing, that, that prayer is about alignment with him. And saying, God, what what is it that you have planned and how am I supposed to be involved in that plan? And that when we get this, when this begins to sink in and prayer becomes more about listening than it is about telling God, that suddenly our prayer lives are transformed, prayers begin to get answered that we never dreamed possible. And everything changes when you and I come into alignment with God in our prayers. So grab your Bibles real quick. I think this is super exciting for you and I to discover. And go with me to the book of 1 John. Now, just so you know, this isn't the Gospel of John. It's actually a collection of uh, several small books right toward the end of the New Testament. So if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. They're just barely uh, uh, before Revelation. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and then Revelation. 1 John chapter... Five, And it's a discussion about prayer. It, it's, it's a moment that in many ways just all of a sudden puts a light on something that's been so confusing, so frustrating for us. And when the light comes on, if you grab the principle that we're talking about, all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness. That literally takes prayer and turns it on its head. Uh, that changes everything about how I pray uh, moving forward. And it is right here. So here we go. First John chapter 5. Uh, Starting in verse 14, here's what it says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. So in other words, when we get ready to pray, as we come into his presence and we're getting ready to have that conversation, this is why we can do this with confidence. This is how we can walk in there and go, hey, I know that this time I'm about to spend with God is going to change things. It's going to be effective. My life's going to be changed. Other lives are going to be changed. I can come to this moment confidently. Okay, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, next word, according to his will. So in other words, if if we're asking something that lines up with where God is trying to take us, then all of a sudden prayers become different. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask from him. Now, guys, if this sinks in, something think about this for a minute. If this sinks in, then what it's saying is the most important feature of prayer is that you and I have a sense of what God's will is. What God is trying to do. And that instead of trying to lead God to our will, we should instead in prayer be listening so that God can lead us to his will in prayer. How many of you have had the experience of walking an unruly dog? Okay. So you, it comes time to take the walk. And you do this with just a little bit of dread. Because you know what's coming. 
And so you put the leash on the collar, you head toward the door, they're already pulling, you tighten up on the leash, you try to brace yourself for what's going to come, and no matter how much you brace yourself, you are not ready. Uh, the door opens, the dog just bolts at the idea of freedom, <laughs> and you're just an unwilling passenger on the journey of this dog. And of course, every time the dog sees another distraction, another dog, <laughs> a car, <laughs> Every, and you're and you're just dragged along. I wonder how often God has felt like that in our prayers. That you and I came to prayer not to go with God, but instead to take God somewhere. And you and I chased after and spent our time talking about everything that caught our mind. I wonder how often we've been the unruly dog in prayer. What you get is just the opposite of what prayer is supposed to be. I saw this YouTube video, again, of a dog. It was interesting uh, because the owner had put a pretty good-sized round ball in front of this dog, and the dog was sitting probably about 15 feet away with just absolute intensity looking at that ball. And when the video starts, you think to yourself, okay, that dog is going to be pouncing on that ball in any moment. And then the video begins to run, and the owner says to the dog, okay, walk toward the ball, and the dog starts walking toward the ball. And then the owner says, stop. Dog stops, dead in his tracks. Back up. And the dog begins to back up. He then says, turn away from the ball. And the dog turns away from the ball. And then he says, okay, take a step toward the ball. And the dog takes one step. He says, take another step. And the dog takes one step. And he says, back up. The dog backs up. He then says... Hide from the ball when the dog does this. He says to the dog, go ahead and touch the ball, don't bite it. And the dog walks over to the ball, puts its snout on the ball, but doesn't bite it. And then he says, okay, you can bite the ball when I get to three. And then he goes, one, two, seven. Dog doesn't move. Twenty-six, forty-five. And then he begins to count backwards. Seven, six, five, four, three, boom. Dog grabs the ball. And here's what you realize. In the midst of all that intensity, in the midst of all that focus, as desperately as the dog wanted the ball, the overriding factor was the voice of his master. Wow. What would it be like if the children of God were like that in prayer? That in the moments that you and I come and we're saying, hey, God, you know, I'd kind of like the ball. You know, that'd be really, really cool. But in this moment, you just need to know the overriding factor is going to be your voice. And if you say go forward, I'll go forward. If you say back up, I'll back up. If you say cover my eyes, I'll cover my eyes. Because I'm here to hear my master direct. When you and I figure this out, when, when this principle begins to sink in, our prayer lives will become much more about listening than they are about telling the creator of the universe what he needs to do. Now guys, I... I get it. 
I get it. I get it because the reality is all of us live in what I call the red light, green light dilemma. So in other words, we, you know, we get into prayer and we're praying about something and, uh, we say, Hey, you know what? Uh, God, uh, here's what I'm praying about. That just seems so obvious. It seems, it seems so clear to me that this is what ought to happen next in my life. And in the midst of that prayer, all of a sudden God gives you a red light and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. God, this is low-hanging fruit. This is an easy, I mean, the job is better. I get paid more. I could tithe more. You know, if you gave me that job. Or the other happens. All of a sudden, God gives a green light. God says, hey, this is, this is what I need you to begin to do. I need you to start serving. And you go, God, you don't understand. My only day free is Sunday. And if I start serving on Sunday, I'm going to miss all the early games. And, and God is asking something or directing us in a direction. And we're going, God, I, God, you don't get it. This, this, this does not appear to enhance my life in any way. Matter of fact, it's pretty, it would diminish my life. You and I end up in the red light, green light dilemma. And the problem is, is that when we get the red light and God is saying no about something or, or God is giving us the green light and saying, I need you to start doing that. You and I begin to get fearful in our hearts <clears throat> that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. See, what we do is we look at that moment, we go, God, that's, that's sacrifice to do that. I mean, God, how, how is that in my best interest to give more of my time or to obey you in that? Because I could lose friends or I could, you know, how is that in my best interest? Or he says, no, 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 I, I don't want you to start that relationship, or I don't want you to take that job. And you go, God, that, that is so obviously a good thing. How in the world can you be saying no in a moment like this? And you and I begin to doubt God and say, hey, God, wait a minute. This feels like this is about what you want and that I have to pay for it somehow. And you don't have my best interest at heart. And Jesus understood that this would be one of the struggles that we had. And so in a conversation about prayer, he explains this. Okay, so grab your Bibles again. Go with me to the book of Matthew. <clears throat> Probably easiest way to get there, just close your Bible, go to the back, start working to the left. You're going to find this book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. It's Jesus helping our hearts in that moment. In the red light, green light dilemma, when, when what God is saying to not do looks like it's going to diminish our life, or the thing that God is saying I need you to start doing just looks sacrificial and looks like it sets us back two steps. And Jesus said, in that moment, you need to trust. Here's what he says, ready? It's Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be open. And Jesus knew what was going to happen next. We're going to go, wait, wait, wait. I, I prayed for doors and they didn't open. I've knocked and, and nothing happened. And so I'm just not sure this works. It seems like God's not on track. And so Jesus answers, you ready? Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, you would give him a snake instead. If you then, though you are evil, in other words, you're, 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 your goodness is nothing compared to God's goodness. 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? And Jesus is saying, guys, guys, guys. Don't let this moment confuse you. That all of a sudden you go, well, I don't think God is really looking up. He's saying, Jesus is saying, you realize he's your heavenly father, that he loves you in a way that you don't even love your own children. And God's answers, even though in the moment seem confusing, are always at your best interest. He's always has your best in mind. Here's why this is hard for us. Because you and I are playing checkers. You and I only see this. And we go, oh, that job is so obviously the right answer. That relationship is clearly the relationship I need in my life. No, 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 no. If I were to obey God in that, I would lose friends. How could could that be a good answer? And so you and I, seeing only the singular moment, go, God, how in the world did you give me a red light? How in the world did you say do that? Because we're playing checkers while God is playing chess. And here's what God knows. God knows what happens next. You get that chess is all about anticipating all of the next moves of your opponent. And God looks at that moment and knows that if he answers that prayer or doesn't, what happens next? And that it takes us somewhere that you and I in our humanness and our limited understanding have absolutely no ability to anticipate this. See, you and I look at this moment, we go, oh, no. It's real simple. All the cones are going to line up and that's where it ends. And God goes, no, it doesn't. If I were to answer that prayer, this takes you somewhere completely different. And this, you ready? This is filled with pain. This is filled with regret. If, If I answer that prayer, if I say, if we go with this, it takes you here. And one day you'll be praying again and you'll be praying, hey, God, why did you do this to me? And you go, I didn't. I just answered the prayer. You did this to you by praying for something that you didn't need to be praying for. By blowing through a red light. By not going when I turned it green. And the most loving thing I can do right now is say no. Because I don't want you there. You don't want you there. See, it's a little gal who says, oh dear God, dear God, make him like me, make him like me. He's so good looking. And what you don't know is, eventually he loses all of his hair. And God's going, <laughs> Said the bald man. But anyways, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Sheesh. All right, so, but you get, you get the, God's saying, look, if I gave you, I get it, I get that it looks good, I get that's what, I get, I get that job opportunity makes total sense to you right now, but what you don't get is, is if you take that job, your life ends up in a completely, because you're going to make relationships on that job, that are going to take you the wrong direction, and in absolute love, and because I have your best in mind, that's why I answered this prayer in a way that seemed wrong to you. I'm 17 years old. I'm getting ready to graduate high school, hop in a car, drive off to Bible college. 
and I had, I had people in my life, people I loved, people I cared about a ton. And you've heard us say over and over again, hey, you listen to advice, you listen to counsel in your life. That's one of the things wise people do. And yet in this moment, I felt absolutely compelled after I had prayed and prayed and prayed that I was supposed to go to a small Bible college in Texas. I had family members who came and said, Lynn, this is such a horrible decision. It's not even accredited. You're going to have a horrible time transferring credits if you ever decide to do that. Your degree may not be recognized on the other end. They've been accredited since, by the way. Anyways, uh, and, and I, in prayer, just said, hey, God, I, I really think this is what you're telling me to do. And I had to turn to people in my family and say, guys, I, I know, I know, I know. And I've listened. I've listened. I'm just telling you with absolute sincerity and prayer, I really believe God's greenlighting this for me. He's saying this is what you're supposed to do. I think back. I met Lisa while I was in Bible college. Hmm. My son. My son Joshua. Would he have ever been born if I hadn't listened? You and I are playing checkers when God is playing chess. It's why when he gives us the unexpected answer, that's probably the most important time to not be the unruly dog. To not blow through a red light and not pause at a green light. Because God sees the end that you and I don't see. And, and what seems so obvious to us is actually clearer to God. Is it possible? Is it possible that some of the most frustrating moments of your life, some of, some of the place, times when you've gotten to a place and you said, God, how in the world did my life get off track? Are that at this moment, at this moment, rather than you and I worrying about alignment, you and I were worried about getting what we wanted and we blew past a red light or we paused at a green light and we sent our life on a course that God never intended for us. And now we're here saying, God, how did you let this happen? And the truth is, we missed the opportunity to line our lives up by prayer and to simply say, God, tell me the answer for this. Because I choose to line up with it, even if I don't understand it. You know, it's interesting, we, uh, as we've been doing the building fund and doing all that stuff, and, you know, I've been talking about money, and I think you've heard us say over and over again, hey, don't, don't worry about what I say, don't listen to me. Pray about it. Do whatever God says for you to do in prayer. You know why we have the confidence as the leadership of the church to say that to you? Because the leadership of the church has gone to God in prayer and said, God, what's next for Cornerstone? And believing with all of our hearts that he has said, we're going we're gonna to increase the capacity. We're going to give the opportunity for more people who are far from God to come in the room and figure out God. We're going to change this city. And believing that God has spoken that to our hearts and directed us. It's super easy to say to you, look, 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 don't, who, don't listen to me. Just pray. Because as you pray, we believe with absolute confidence God's going to line you up with what he's trying to do. It gets pretty simple then. If you and I will simply listen. You go, well, wait, wait, wait. How, do you, how do you know? I mean, how do you... How do you discern what God is doing or where God's taking you. And, and 
I'm just going to say to you, this really isn't all that hard because here's the deal. The heart of God is almost certainly going to take you and I in one of two directions. That, that anytime God is speaking to us, there's really two things that God says. These are the big deals. These are the priorities in life. And somehow this is going to get you to one of these values and priorities. Grab your Bibles one last time because I think this may be the most helpful verse of the day. It's 2 Corinthians. And again, if you close your Bible, you can work to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is an interesting uh, passage in Scripture because Paul is describing to you and me one of his frustrations in prayer. So think about this for a second. Paul, who's probably one of the most remarkable Christians to ever live, some could argue the best Christian to ever live, is telling you, hey, I've been frustrated in prayer too. There's been moments when I've said to God, God, if you would do... I mean, this is so obviously the right answer. And God said, no, red light. And then Paul says, here's what I've come to understand about those moments. Here we go. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 7. It says, or because of these surpassingly great revelations... Therefore, you ready? Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Now guys, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh was or the messenger from Satan. Some Bible scholars have proposed, maybe it's an eyesight issue. And here's how they come up with that. Because there's several times in Paul's letters when he's writing them, he says to them, hey, notice I wrote this in my own hand because you can see what big letters I used. And the idea is, is that his eyesight was failing dramatically and that in order for him to see his own writing, he was having to write with very big letters and that this becomes deeply frustrating for Paul. And he's going, man, if I didn't have this eyesight problem, I could do so much more. You know, I'm supposed to write the Bible and, you know, and anyways. Or the other is, uh, some have said, no, 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 there's that phrase there that says a messenger from Satan. That sounds an awful lot more like temptation. That sounds like he's got a struggle in his life. He's got a sin that he's constantly having to get to the right side of. He's having to kill his flesh every day and say, God, I've, I've just got this issue in my life that I'm constantly having to beat back. And it'd be so cool if you would just take that desire out of my life. If you take that habit away from me, it'd be, it'd be so helpful, God. I could serve you better. We don't know. And I think God doesn't tell us what his struggle was so that when you and I read this verse, you and I could insert our struggle. That you and I could say, I've got a thorn in the flesh. I've got a thing that I wish if God would fix it, if God would, I would be such a better Christian for that. And I don't get why God's not helping me with this. I don't get why God doesn't, you know, restore my health. I don't get why God doesn't fix my marriage. I don't get it. We've all got a thorn in the flesh. Verse 8. Three times... Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more, Paul says, gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight, I delight in weakness in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, in that moment I'm strong. Now here's what Paul tells us in this moment, if you stop and think about it. 
Remember he started out by saying, hey, the reason God gave me this thorn in the flesh was to keep me from becoming prideful, to keep me from becoming, I mean, God knew I had this propensity. And to keep me from thinking too much of myself, he made me weak. Answer number one, when you're looking for God's will. Very, very often when that doesn't make sense, when the red light and the green light are confusing, it's because God is trying to teach you and me something that you cannot learn without pain. That God is saying, hey, no, 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 no. I get that that's a problem. I get that that's something that frustrates you. But here's the deal. I can't teach you what I need to teach you without you going through that. It's a dad saying to a son, I can't teach you to respect money unless I make you save for your own car. I could buy your car, but I'm going to make you save for your own car. It's God saying, look, I can't get you where I need to get you without the pain. Because guys, you realize this, that the number one priority for God for your life is that you end up looking like Jesus. It's not that you end up being a millionaire. It's not that you have 2.5 kids. It's not that your kids all graduate summa cum laude from ASU. It's not what it is. God's goal for you is that you end up looking like Jesus. And here's the problem. When you and I came to Jesus, there was too much of you in you. There was too much of you in you. And he is doing the transformative work to make you look like his son, which is why sometimes God says, I'm going to ask you to have the pain. I'm going to ask you to live through the sacrifice because that's how you're going to grow. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before. Take a lump of coal, put it under heat, put it under pressure, and then take way, way, way too much time. And what does a chunk of coal become? A diamond. Take a Christian, put him under pressure, put him under a lot of heat, and take way, way, way more time than that Christian ever wanted you to take. And guess what a Christian becomes? Like Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes God's will, the thing we're struggling with is God says, no, 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 no. I'm teaching you right now. I'm growing you right now. And guys, think about this. If that's true, and if this is about lining up on the will of God, wouldn't the most powerful thing in that moment as you pray, instead of saying, hey, God, take that problem away, get rid of that stinky coworker, kill my kid. Instead of praying that... Wouldn't it be much better in that moment to say, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? Because if you would even give a hint, my plan is to cooperate. Because think about this, think about this. If you and I learn the lesson quickly, then couldn't the lesson be over sooner? And wouldn't one of the most powerful things in prayer be to line up and say, God, what is it you're trying to teach me? I'm going to start working on that with you. I'm going to cooperate with you so that I can learn this really, really quick and you can stop being a pain in my life. Number one, will of God is always going to be that you look more like Jesus, which means when he's saying no or he's saying go, chances are he's trying to get you to be more Christ-like. And then the second thing that you just showed up in the thing, the other option is this. God may say, no, 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 this isn't about cooking you. This isn't about refining you. This is about somebody next to you. See, there's somebody in your life. There's a cousin or there's a coworker or there's a neighbor who doesn't know me. And the reality is if I injected myself in their life, they would run away. They, they, would, they would run screaming away from me. 
But if they had the opportunity to watch you go through some stuff, they would be amazed. Because they would stop in that moment and say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they're facing that health concern. I don't know how he can get laid off from a job, how she can get laid off from a job. And they've got so much faith. I don't get it. Their faith in God must be real. And suddenly God makes himself obvious by the behavior of his children. And so sometimes when you and I are praying and saying, God, would you fix it? God says, no, no, no. Someone's watching. Someone's learning about me by the way you're behaving right now. The spotlight's on. I can't dare turn the spotlight off. So we're not going to do that right now. Years ago, I'm in youth ministry, and we were taking a group of kids up to camp. And the really cool thing about going up to camp is you get to ride in old school buses that have no air conditioning and smell like fumes. It's just a good moment. It's a, it's a bonding moment. You all walk out a little bit brain injured, but it's a good moment when you ride the bus to camp. And on this particular camp, about three days before camp, one of the kids had invited his friend from school because his friend was an atheist. And this kid was thinking, boy, Russ's best chance of ever figuring out God is if we can get him up to camp. And so he invited him, and sure enough, Russ had signed up. And so here's Russ Niblack riding on the bus, heading up to camp. Friend came to me and said, Lynn, you just need to be praying like crazy. Russ is an atheist. He needs to find Jesus at camp. So I waited. I waited till we had gone about three hours in our 14-hour bus ride. And uh, I saw Russ at the back, bored out of his head. And I did a very strategic youth pastor thing. I said, hey, Russ, come sit on the engine, because this old Bluebird bus had the engine kind of in and a compartment on it. I said, sit on the engine, talk to me. I want to hear your story. And so we started talking. He told me how he was an atheist. And I just started asking him questions. And the cool part about Russ was he wasn't an atheist because he was angry and just being on. He, he was an atheist because he le- had legitimate questions about God. And so we just started talking him back and forth. And you know, and he'd ask me, you know, hey, how can evil happen if there's a God? And I'd say, well, you know, you realize evil things happen because God, people push God away. And he goes, oh, you mean evil is the result of men's decisions, not the result of God's? And I said, well, yeah. He says, that's cool. And I said, well, no, 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 don't think about that. You think about that, you'll start sounding like a Christian. <laughs> and uh, he'd say, uh, well, hey, wait a minute, you know, I mean, if... if if God's, if God's real, then how come there's a big bang? And I said, well, you know, couldn't the big bang be the moment of creation? And he went, oh, I never thought about that. So then the big bang could actually be evidence for God. I said, no, 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 Russ, don't say that. You'll sound like a Christian. Don't, don't do that. And we did this all the way up to Hume. We get to Hume, second night at Hume, Tuesday night at Hume. And the first guy, when they gave the invitation to accept Jesus in your heart, Russ Niblack goes running to the front. He gets done. I go, I want to make sure he's made a real decision. Yeah, man, I, I gave my heart to Jesus, man. I'm in. I'm in. We get back from camp. All our kids are going crazy. All our kids are super excited. They're all like, man, Russ Niblack became a Christian. An atheist became a Christian at camp. Three weeks after camp, Russ is walking through the park with a couple of his friends. He says, hey, guys, I'm going to do a backflip. You spot me. Jumps to do his backflip. By the time his friends realized it was going bad, they were too late. Russ comes down on the back of his neck, breaks his neck right underneath his skull. Instantly a paraplegic. Quadriplegic, I'm sorry, quadriplegic. Can't move his arms, can't move his legs. 
can't tell you what that was like to go to the hospital to meet with a three-week-old Christian and say, Russ, I'm sorry. I don't get it. And to have a three-week-old Christian look me in the eyes and say, no, no, no. God's in charge. I'm going, what? You're three weeks in Jesus and that's your answer? Yeah, God's in charge. To watch a three-week-old Christian decide that God must be putting him on display and must be wanting him to do something. And so he ends up going to Bible college to study about the God who allowed him to be a quadriplegic and to be able to articulate and effectively share his faith with others. And can I tell you, I watched a youth group watch Russ and say, if Russ can follow Jesus, then I don't care what problem I face, I can follow Jesus. And I'm just telling you, sometimes God puts you and me on display so that others' lives will be changed. And what would it mean? What would it mean for you and I to stop being the unruly dog, to stop arguing with God and telling God what he needs to do and simply say, God, I don't understand the answer, but I'm waiting to hear from you. I'm I'm waiting to let you do what you're going to do. My prayer right now is not, God, stop doing what you're doing. Help me to begin doing what you're doing. Because I want my life to line up. It would change our prayers. It would change your life. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we've, we've all been the unruly dog. Uh, we've all lived that moment in which we said, hey, God, could you fix this? And God, go over there and do that. And then, oh, by the way, I, uh, I need... God, we've spent so much in our time in our prayers telling and so little time listening. And we're just asking in this moment, would you change that for us? Would you make us Christians? who are focused on the master's voice, who simply say, God, whatever you say, that's what I, take a step forward, I'm taking a step forward. Cover your eyes, I'm covering my eyes. I simply am listening for the voice of my master. God, help us to do a lot more listening and a whole lot less telling. And this we pray in Jesus' name.